You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Pipeline to God, recorded on February 10th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, I'm so glad you came. My name is Mike. You may be right here where I'm standing in Catanning, Pennsylvania. You could be in Indiana, beautiful Petrolia Valley. Um, you could be in jail. And I want to have a special message to our brothers and sisters in jail. Um, the, uh, I just want you to know I, I enjoy reading through your prayers every week. And uh, I see some of you are actually praying for the church. And I think that just always humbles me to know um, you're locked up and you're praying for us. So no matter what brought you to Armstrong uh, Jail, no matter what circumstances, I uh, just want you to know you're not forgotten. Uh, the people who come out and love you, bring you the word, and, and just keep praying, and may God bless you. Um, but now we are going through um, five sermons on the word of God. This is the final one. The whole goal here was to glorify God and show how great his word is. We're not going to cover every verse on the word of God. We didn't even try. Um, But hopefully it's motivating all of us to love the word of God, read the word of God, and understand why we do it. Um, I I saved the beginning for last. So if you have a Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we will end at the beginning. Genesis 1. It says 1 to 5. Kinda. That'll be our leaping off point. It's really the very first line and then verse three that I'm focusing on. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, when was that? Beginning of what? Our reality. Um, Matter. God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there was a time, and we don't know how long that time was, where there was just stuff. Nothing but something. The earth didn't have a form. God's spirit was brooding over it. But then God, you know, you can kind of think of that like clay or silly putty or, or, or paint with a canvas, but it doesn't have the form we see now. But then God describes in very brief language how he began to form the details that make up the world that we know. How did he form the earth that we know? I I've worked with clay before as a kid when they force you to in art class. Art class, I always loved art class because you get an A and you don't have to really do anything. Just don't talk back to the teacher. And, uh, and, and, and I could play with clay and form it into an alligator. That was a very easy thing. It's a long tube and little legs and, and they bite and boys like things that bite. So did God take the form that he made and just start pulling on it? No. No, in fact, the Bible reveals that God doesn't condescend, besides in the body of Christ, to have matter, something as small as matter for a hand. He is spirit. So then how did he do the details? 
The answer is he spoke. It's very hard to build things on earth by speaking. Try it sometimes. But God did it. And we see that beginning in verse 3. It says, God said, let there be light. Before that, in the moment, that in the, all the universe, there was no light. It, it wasn't. God said, let it be. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. And I know a lot of people, when we cover these, they can't wait to talk about how long were those days and Genesis and origins where you're not going to be satisfied today. If that's what you're looking for, I'm going to leave you completely unsatisfied. Because the part that I want us to look at is the God said. He said, let there be light. Boom. Seven more times in the first chapter of Genesis, we have the exact same formulation God said. I'm going to show you every single time. Verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let's separate the waters from the waters. God said, what you see there is there will be sky and there will be ground. There will be ocean and there will be atmosphere. God just said it. Verse 9. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so the water-covered globe became water and land. Which, by the way, this is an aside. Scientists like to, by the way, science is not against religion. Not if you know what you're doing. But there are some who say, well, science teaches us how we really got here. And everyone knows the Bible story is a myth. The Bible story is not a myth. Uh, first, it's not mythical. This is very plain language. There's no, nothing mythological about it. Second, it's downright boring. Other myths are actually very exciting. Um, Native American myths, Greek myths, any myth on how the earth was made is very exciting. This is very boring. But it's very interesting that Moses knew thousands of years before others that the earth was once covered by water and that land appeared. So, and you can see that as, as we flow, but at the end of that parenthesis, that's the only answers in Genesis talk I'm gonna give you today. And God said, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. What is vegetation? I mean, there's no vegetation yet. There's no vegetation. There's just land. Let the earth sprout. I, I wish he'd have said, let the earth sprout Vegetation, but no Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Plants yielding seed. Reproduction from the beginning. Whatever's alive reproduces itself. Fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Verse 14. And God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day and night. Let them be signs for seasons, for days, for years. Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light on earth. And certain lights from the heavens get to us, sun, moon, stars. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And it happened. Clams. Clams. Swarms of clams. <laughs> Shrimps. 
We're just, or shrimp, if you like to say it that way. Shrimps everywhere. Sharks and fish. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. So land animals, according to their kind. Livestock, creeping things. Some of you wish he didn't make creeping things, but he made creeping things. And beasts of the earth, according to their kind. Finally, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing on the earth. So we see in this uh, progression of God said seven times, God formed the earth in stages over time. He didn't make it all at once. He made it step by step over time. What was his means to make it come about? Words. Words. We go backwards in our thinking from our words to his words. We speak words, he speaks words. And the danger there is we can begin to think our words are like his. But you can't speak things into being. He can, and he does, and he did. So for our maps, I, I, I want the Holy Spirit and I can't make him do anything. So I've asked him to really give us a vision for how words work with God. So for our map, our first map point, God's words exist in perfect synergy with his being. I know synergy is not a normal word. It's kind of a made up word that somebody came up with. It kind of means everything works together and it creates something greater. And I'm not saying anything's greater than God, but I couldn't come up with a word besides unity. You know, I wanted a word that said God's words exist and they're just part, they're not part, I don't, you see how hard it is to put God into words. God's words exist in perfect synergy with his being. His words are intricately connected to his power and his goodness. What, what kind of things will God say if he talks? The answer may seem odd. It may seem like a tautology, which means a circular argument, but it isn't. But the answer is God only says the things God should say. And anything that God should say, God says. Right? That's not like you and me. <laughs> we, we could say anything at all, but God speaks since God is great and God is everything and God is everywhere and God is all powerful, when he speaks, he speaks the words that must be spoken because he's God. His words always happen. Always. They're always true. There's not a lie, even a sliver of dishonesty within God. Not even a sliver, not the slightest, oh, it's a little white lie. Not in God it isn't. If he says it, it's so. In, in fact, if he says it, it appears. When God said, let there be light, it was impossible for light not to be. God didn't say, let there be light, and then nothing happened. And he goes, huh, I expected that to work. It didn't. If God says, let there be, it is. And there's no not it being. 
don't know how to say that. When he said, let the waters swarm with swarms of creatures. Little crabs floating around down there. Those crabs were going to be. They couldn't not be. The swordfish. The tuna. (laughs) Those huge whales. It's not possible for the waters not to swarm with living creatures when God says, let the water swarm with living creatures. He determines the numbers of the stars and he gives them their names, says the psalm. He determines the number and names them. He just speaks a star into being. And he gives it a name. It's probably an amazing name that we couldn't understand. It'd be really flattering to find out if they were like our names, like Ralph the star. <laughs> but if he says that star is there, it's there. Where do God's, how do God's words relate to his godness? I guess God is, God's words spring from his being. There's a consistency between his words and himself. His words are good. Everything he says is good because God is good. So everything he says is good. He never says destructive things. All that he does is good. Therefore, all that he says is good. His words are never frivolous. There's no wasted words. Your wasted words already been heard, says Greg Allman. Well, God has no wasted words. He never misspeaks. Oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> never. Now, we're made in God's image. And one of the ways that we reflect that image is we have words. Nothing else on the planet has words, at least in the physical. There's probably demons and angels wandering around the spiritual realm, and they have words, I guess. I don't know. I think they do. In the Bible, they seem to talk. (laughs) But as far as in the physical realm, nothing else has words. People want things to have words. If you go on YouTube, you find a dog that goes like, and it sounds like words, but the dog has no idea what he's saying. People say birds sing. Birds don't really sing. They don't sing. They don't sing. They make a noise. It's a horrible tune. It's a nice noise, could be, but it's not a tune. And they make the exact same tune that their grandfather made and their grandchildren are going to make. And apparently the only thing it means is, come romance with me. People want to say, listen to the dolphins or the whales. It'll relax you. (laughs) But we're made in his image. I think it's important at this point, as we consider God's relationship to his words, we should consider our relationship to our words. And you know what? It's Similar. I think you could argue very easily that there's a synergy between you and your words. 
Your words spring from your being. As an example, look what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 34 of Matthew 12. Jesus says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you're justified, by your words you're condemned. Why are we judged by our words and condemned by our words? Because our words are in synergy, they're in union, they're united to our being and to our soul. They reflect us. Now, you can say, well, it says the good person brings good treasure, and we can imagine we're the good person, but we'd be wrong. If you've read the Bible and understand the definition of mankind, we are fallen. There is a goodness They've been given to a man, woman, boy, or girl, and it comes through faith in Christ alone, and it's his goodness. But of ourselves, we're flawed, as Paul says in Romans 7, 18. And a good thing to always remember is, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Very important to remember, and this is a parenthesis, not the point of the sermon. I know you feel condemned because you know you're a lousy sinner. And the longer you're a Christian, the more sometimes you think, I'm a lousy sinner. And you wonder about that evil person in you that constantly thinks bad thoughts. Don't be shocked that your old nature is just as wicked as it was the day you were saved. It's not reforming. It needs to be crucified. The only goodness in you is Christ. But that's a lot of goodness. So even Paul says in Romans 7, I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So we, like the Pharisees, speak out of our own natures. In our own hearts, we tear people down. We're jealous. So our mouths gossip. Our own hearts are filthy. So our mouths are filthy. Our hearts are deceitful. So we lie. Our mouth are hurtful and angry. So we insult, criticize, speak pointed falsehoods, call names. Our hearts are jealous. So we spew hate. Our hearts are greedy. They're thankless. That's why we complain about everything about you, about this, about that, about the weather. Our words are frivolous because we are frivolous. Our words are powerless because we are powerless. The only power we have is borrowed. And Jesus says, we will answer for everyone. Why do we answer for our words? Because our words are us. Our words are us. (laughs) That awful thing you said, well, I was just having a bad day. Well, I guess on your bad days, we find out who you really are. Because it didn't come from the neighbor. We're like God. Our words reflect who we are. God's words reflect who he is. Quite a contrast, isn't there? So we move to our need for the Savior. As you can tell, I'm telling the old, old story, as it were here. 
but I want us to see it in light of God said. (laughs) So we need a savior because we're lost. If I have to stand before Jesus on the judgment day and give an account of every careless word, I'm going to sit and say, why did I talk so much? There are so many of you who are two, three, four, five, ten, twenty times quieter than me. The hottest part of hell is reserved for us who just don't shut up. I need a savior. I need to avoid that judgment moment. And that, make no mistake, is the good news of the Bible. To come to Jesus doesn't make you good so you survive the judgment moment. It makes, it, it makes you dead <laughs> and you avoid the judgment moment. What do I mean? Well, here's what the Bible says. The saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 1, and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come here? To find sinful people like me and you and save us. From what? Our own words. Because our own words are our own self. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means, propitiation, big fancy word, takes away God's anger. God is not dispassionate about your sin. Well, I've got... Seven billion sinners down there now. You're just one more. I'm going to punish you, but I don't care. I'm going to have Pop-Tarts afterwards. He's not. No, no. No, he's angry because he hates sin. How much? How much do you hate it? Have you ever been lied to? How much did you hate sin? That that sin. Have you ever been stolen from? How much do you hate that? Ever been abused? Ever been hurt? Betrayed? You hate sin then when it's done to you, don't you? Don't you? I do. Cut off in traffic. Those people should die for that. <laughs> Why is it so personal? That's the most personal thing. You, you could slap someone in the face, they don't get as offended as if you cut them off in traffic. God is more holy and every sin you've ever done is offensive and he's angry at it. When it, you see the word propitiation, it means every bit of the anger is taken away because every bit of the payment is satisfied. Your sin taken away and now you are righteous in his eyes. He goes from angry at you to pleased. For Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours but for the sins of the whole world. Leviticus seventeen eleven, For the life of the flesh is in the blood I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now that was in the Old Testament but that was a picture of Christ and in the New Testament we're told without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. Jesus Christ did all the work. How do you get saved? Jesus did all the work. He was good for you. When I went to church, doesn't count. If you want anything to count on your side, then you're trying to put your own righteousness forward and you won't be saved. That's why pride is the problem that blinds us. If we think, well, I'm not about to accept that nothing about me was good enough for God, then you're going to hell. 
You've got to come to Jesus as a beggar, realizing he did all the work. He did everything. But in doing everything, you're off the hook. No self-righteousness is allowed. We call this being saved by grace. We throw around the word grace all the time, and sometimes people who don't know what that is may not know what we're saying. But that's what it means. No self-righteousness allowed. He did everything. That's what it means to be saved by grace. Now, Jesus died for all, but not all are saved. Why are not all saved? (laughs) Why isn't everyone saved if he died for all? The answer brings us back to our subject. In order to be saved, we need to hear God's speak to us. Because even salvation is declared by God. If God declares, (laughs) then it happens. But then there's this other element. You have to believe him. That's why we call it salvation by faith. You have to believe him. That's a little early on that slide, by the way. If Jesus died to save all from sin, why isn't everyone saved? Because salvation is available to all. But not all access it by faith. Faith is the conduit that connects the sinner to Jesus and his salvation. Faith is simple. Faith is a really simple idea. I think we work it up as if it's some sort of motive we have in our gut. If I just believe hard enough, God's going to give it to me. What are you doing? I'm believing really hard. Can we talk? Don't, don't, don't interrupt me. I'm believing hard. I'm believing, 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 believing. I don't doubt, don't doubt, don't doubt, don't doubt. Just confess what is true. I'm healed, 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 I'm healed. Don't break my concentration. You get that, don't you? I saw preachers said, get in the mirror and say, I don't have cancer, don't have cancer, don't have cancer, don't have cancer. Which is stupid. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't your ability to maintain concentration on one thought. Faith is believing that God's telling you the truth. That's it. It's trusting that God is great and good. So you believe him because of his character. God is telling you the truth. Well, what if, what if he's not? Then he's a liar, and he's not a liar. So he's telling you the truth. And all that he says is true will be done. Okay. I know I'm given the basics, but let's put the basics together and see how they work. How do you access God? How do you access God? I know he accesses you. He makes you. He interacts with you. Well, actually, I don't know how he does it because he's invisible. He does whatever he does. But how do you access him? The answer is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those who seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Well, if you access him by faith, 
What is it that you believe? Words. What words? The ones he said. So we're back to the Bible. He tells the truth. His words are always done. As, as you read the Bible, and, and it, I'm very excited. So, so many of us are reading the Bible together. I'm talking to you guys, and you're saying you're, you know, you're talking about your struggles or your victories in that area, but God's talking to us. As you read it, let me recommend you look for two kinds of people, because in the Bible, there's always two kinds of people. What kind? Perfect and imperfect? Oh, no. They're all imperfect, with one exception. One's with faith and one's without faith. Or to put it another way, those who believe that if God says it, it's so, and those who don't believe that if God says it, it's so. (laughs) Moses, don't worry, God's going to save us. Hebrews, oh no, he's not, because those Egyptians are going to kill us. Which one believes them? (laughs) Right? (laughs) The, the, The spies come out of the land, they say, and two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb said, God said we can take that place. And 10 of them goes, I don't care what God said, those people are scary. And those are the two kinds of people in the Bible. You have Noah. Well, Noah was perfect. He drank till stupidity at the end of the ark thing. He's not perfect. But he believed God. So when the God he believed came up and said, dude, drowning everybody, build a boat. He built a boat. Lot versus Lot's wife. Lot was nowhere near perfect. <laughs> you don't want Lot for your dad, girls. <laughs> don't, if you don't know why, go back and read Genesis. <laughs> and he too became stupidly drunk and did stupid things. But if God said something, he believed it was so. But his wife, not so much. Abraham, Jacob was a schemer. David. Well, you know David's foibles. If you don't, you will. What's the difference between him and Saul? He just believed God said it so. Whereas Saul, don't fight until Samuel gets there. I don't believe that's going to work. Well done. So the Bible shows us that God is on the side of those who believe what he says. It's a book that separates all, everyone in the book into two sides. Those who believe him and those who don't believe him. We read the Bible to learn what he says. But not everyone who reads the Bible meets God. Why? They don't believe it. So, why are you reading the Bible? I want to find out what he says. No. I mean, yeah. But that won't help you. To find out what to believe. To find out what's going to happen to find out your situation in life, to find out what God's up to, to believe it. God's, (laughs) okay, so, faith connects you to God because faith in God's word is what connects you to the cross. Back to the narrative. Jesus died for your sins, but your sins aren't taken away. Why not? You're not connected to that cross. How do you get connected to it? You have to believe something God tells you. There's, the only way anybody ever gets saved is somebody tells them something and, and God speaks to them. It's a miracle to be saved. It's a miracle to be saved. Someone come up to you and say, hey, Jesus Christ died for your sins. 
Now that human talked to you, but that's not who you heard. That person got a truth from the Bible, he gave it to you, you heard God and you believed God and you got saved. So the way your faith is activated by the word, no word, no faith. By what mechanism did God cause Jesus to die for our sins? By what mechanism? Well, Romans and nails, right? Wood, three nails, some ugly Romans. No. I mean, that happened, but the mechanism was God said it. God said it. So Peter says in Acts chapter two, he said he died by the preordained plan of God. Jesus said, said, said to Peter, and to all his disciples, look, the scripture said I die. Well, who wrote the scripture? God. God said you die. You die. If God says you die, you die. The means of Christ dying was God said it. Isaiah, it pleased him to crush him. Sins were paid for how? Well, the blood kind of dripped all over him. No. God said it. God said it by his stripes. We are healed. Jesus kept saying this over and over. All things must be done to fulfill the scripture. That's another way of saying all things must be done because God said they were going to be done. And anything God said is going to be done or done. The means by which your sins are forgiven is God said his blood forgives your sins. The resurrection. God said it. He was assigned to the rich man in his death, but he will see his offspring and rejoice. How about things that haven't happened yet? What is the means by which God will raise your dead body? He's just going to say it. What's the means of the second coming of Christ? He's already written it down. He's already said it. So sins are forgiven by a promise of his word. And the only way to be saved is to believe what he says. Do you believe him? I want us to look at the world's most famous verse, but I want us to see what comes after the world's most famous verse. And I think this is the world's most famous verse. At least it's America's. John 3.16. The football verse, right? And I don't know. I don't see that so much anymore in football. Does anyone still do that in football? It used to be every time someone kicked a field goal, there would be someone there with a sign that said John 3.16. And you got to love the, the, the coordination. They had to buy tickets in the end zone. They had to work it out. What a ministry. I can't think of a bigger waste of time, though. <laughs> you just envision a bunch of sinners sitting there with their buddies. <laughs> you know, they're wondering if he's going to make this kick. I don't know. What's that? It says John 3.16. Okay. Did he make it? Yeah. Three points. Get me a beer. I don't think anyone gets saved from that. <laughs> but good for them. It, there's good reason 3.16 is the most famous verse. It's the best news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Does it say that whoever he died for, 
shall not perish but have eternal life? Does it say that? Does it say that? No. Work that into your Calvinism and see if it doesn't put a wrench in the system. It says whoever believes should not perish. Believes means somebody told you something. Or you saw it, but you didn't see it. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to throw folks into hell. He came here in order that the world might be saved. Do you believe that? So God says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe him believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That means there's not just two kinds of people in the Bible. There's two kinds of people in the whole planet, in the world you live in. Everyone you meet, you could say, he's either this or he's that. She's this or she's that. And it's the kind who believe God's words are true and the kind who don't. That's why we do, by the way, evangelism and missions and children's ministry. Because those are three category of people who we want to make sure they've heard the message. Because they're in the category of people who don't believe God's word. Children eventually do, and then they get saved, and you keep ministering to them. But you've got to tell children. They don't come out of the womb knowing. You've got to go to the places where no one's told the gospel. You've got to do evangelism. We've got missionaries in different places of the world trying to simply tell a simple message to people. They don't get saved because we tell them the message. They get saved if they believe. And we just want to give them a shot. (laughs) Just want to give them a shot. So I declare to you today, Jesus did the work on the cross. His sacrifice was enough. That's what I'm saying the Bible says. That his sacrifice is enough. I could give you verses. Instead, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that or not? Now, that's how we get to salvation. But Christian, what about after that? I I think many times we're guilty of stopping the faith message right there. Just get people saved. It is an important message, we got to make sure everyone's saved. And then we got to go to the lost folks so they can get saved. It's so important that we get them in the door. But then grace and faith seem to stop working right there. And then we try to be good Christians and hate ourselves because we stink at it. Can I get an amen if that's true in your life? Well, isn't it feel good to know you thought you're the only one? You know, all these people are holier than us. I love Sunday morning church. You get young couples come to church with, they're all cleaned up and kids go to wherever the kids go in the back and, and you look at them and go, I bet they fought all the way to church. <laughs> and now they feel guilty. <laughs> look at us, we're on the way to church and we're fighting. Bah! It's because you had kids. But the good news is the same grace and faith that saved you is the dynamic by which you're supposed to keep going. And here, Christian, I think we can never hear this enough. Salvation is by faith alone, but salvation doesn't end when we get saved. In other words, 
Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live, how? By faith. You, you live by this stuff. You live on faith. Do you get discouraged thinking life is too hard? That it, first it's too hard, then it ends when you're dead. It, what does God say to you about that? I don't know what God says. If he really loved me, it wouldn't be so hard. Oh, it wouldn't be so hard. No. Okay. Like I got saved and my life should be easy. He forgave my sins, but I feel horrible and life's hard and I can't pay the bills and, and nobody loves me and I'm gonna eat a worm and all that stuff. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Is Jesus God? Yes. Did he say you're gonna have tribulation in this world? So you're surprised why? Didn't you believe him? But take heart. I've overcome the world. Has Jesus overcome all your problems? Has he? He said he did. Now it's up to you to believe it or not believe it. I don't gotta convince you, it's right there. Has he overcome all your problems? Yeah. Do you believe it? It's up to you, isn't it? Now, to, to live a good, defeated Christian life, just say, I don't know. Sometimes I do. Well, that's pathetic, and you won't get anywhere. If I ever write a book about my own life, which I won't, because can you think of anything more self-centered? People writing a book. I mean, if you're famous, I think you should write a book about your own life, but you don't always know you're famous, right? There's some people who should have written a book about their lives. Why didn't George Washington write one? He didn't know he was going to be so famous. But if I did, I'd call it, everything's going to be all right. That's what I'd call it. Because really, that's the only lesson I really come out of this world with. Everything's going to be all right. You can put anything bad in my life. Between now and dead, I'll have the same answer. You can come to me with all the troubles you want, and I'll deal with your troubles. I'll walk with you with your troubles, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be all right. And you can say to me, well, how do you know? I'm like, well, I don't. But I know God, and God said that he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Cancer, yep. Back pain, yes. Breakups, yes. Down syndrome, you bet. All things. Now either we can believe the word of God, which means believing God, or you don't. And here we're back to the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To the third verse, God said, and it was. If God says, and he did, everything in your life will work out for your good, then your it must, it can't not work out for your good. It's impossible 
Because if God said it, it comes out of his being and it's true. I know that this light affliction will result in a weight of glory, says Paul. And it's in the Bible, so it says God. The, the, there's a practical aspect to this. This isn't just an encouraging devotional moment in your life. Every day by faith. Every day you need the word of God. Why? Because we're humans. And words come in, words go out. Ideas go in, ideas go out. Thoughts go in, thoughts go out. You need daily bread. Because God's always reassuring us. He doesn't say don't fear one time. He, and he doesn't say it one way. He says, consider the birds. How about the lilies of the field? Hey, you know, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. Hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. He says it all over the place. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Paul declares to Timothy, this saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will live with him. And, and by this, he means you died with him on a cross. Your old nature, all those bad, careless things you said, dead on a cross, you don't have to go to judgment. Instead, you died with him. I almost forgot to close that loop. I said I would. There it is. You don't have to go to judgment because instead of going to judgment, you just died on a cross with Jesus. You can't judge dead people. And he, he raised you up to new life. If we endure, we will reign. I am going to get up out of a grave. How do I know? God told me. Or not a grave. I could get obliterated in a bomb. And God's going to have to find particles and put them back together, and he will. And I'm going to have a holy body that cannot get sick, that will never die, because I'll have one, the Bible says, like his resurrected body. And it said, death no longer has dominion over his body in Romans. So that means death will have no dominion over my body. It won't be able to die. It'll go on forever. It will be sin-free, and I'm going to reign with him. I don't even know what that looks like. That's going to happen to me. Jealous? Well, don't be. I didn't earn it. It just says it in 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. And I'm making a choice to believe it. Based on the person who said it. God. Because the entire scripture is breathed by him. And you'll join me. We'll reign together. You're saved by faith alone, not by your own good works. But my friends, you live by faith alone, not by your good works. You live by faith. Satan wants you to be blind to this truth. Five sermons, I hope what you're grasping is the, the book is the power to overcome the world. The book the devil wants you to neglect the book that you've known about but often have just left on a shelf for months at a time. Don't feel guilty for that. Realize you've been duped. You've been duped. Satan doesn't want you looking at the book. He would rather have a nice, defeated Christian life because even if you're saved and go to heaven, you'll be useless on earth. Um... 
there's a guy named John Cao, K-A-O. I don't even know how to say that because it's Chinese. He has a middle name that's more Chinese-like, but his first name's John. <laughs> and uh, when he was 20 years old in China, in university, some American couple gave him a Bible. So he reads it and talks to him, reads it and talks to him, listens to Billy Graham on the radio. How does Billy Graham get to China on the radio? And guess what happens from hearing the word of God? He believes it, he gets saved. Well, through his American connections, he gets over to America and finds out that one of our greatest treasure is an American girl. Tom Petty knew it. Now this Chinese dude knows it. So he marries this nice American girl. But he keeps... He keeps going back to China. He never takes on American citizenship because he, he wants a passport to get him to China. He's got kids. One of them's going to Michigan, PhD. But he goes back to China. And he evangelizes everywhere he goes. He wears special coats that he can hide the Bible in. And it says he'll get on public transportation in the morning and he will evangelize all day long until he's out of Bibles and he's literally lost his voice and then he'll get off the bus and go home. He, he loves his country, very patriotic, which, just like us Americans, he's patriotic for China. We're patriotic for America. He, he started schools because the underground church movement needed them. So he started schools to train pastors. But he's a good citizen, so he'd start a school, turn it over to the government. But it would train pastors. He was tireless. Most recently, he's been working in Myanmar, which is Burma, and crossing over into China. And he got arrested last year. Jing Xiaoping, I think that's how you say his name, I'm not sure, is, is trying to crush our brothers and sisters in China. He's not gonna be able to do it, but he's, he's definitely causing them a lot of pain, and we should think about him, and we should pray for them, because he's taking over churches, and he's locking up our brothers and sisters. And he arrested John Cao, last year, like I think in the spring. And he put him in jail. His uh, wife and son flew over from Michigan to come see him, or from North Carolina where they live. The kid goes to Michigan. And, and they wouldn't let him see him because they're Americans. They let his sister see him because she's Chinese. She could look at him for one minute and she couldn't talk. But he has a lawyer and I just want to read, because he's in jail right now. As we're here, he's there. And it's daytime there. I think they're a 13-hour difference. And he's there right now, as we sit here. And I just want to read, according to his lawyer, this is, by the way, from World Magazine. You don't have to get this magazine, but you should look at World Mag online. It's just a great news source. The podcast, the world and everything in it is probably the best news source for a Christian in the country, the world and everything in it. But in any case, this one is from World Magazine. It says, and you could go and read this whole article on him. It says, according to the law, his lawyer, Li Guxiang, which I'm probably saying wrong, he visited Cao most recently in October. Cao is suffering from hemorrhoids, and you might laugh at that, but if you've had them, you know, a herniated disc, you, you know, that's no laughing matter, and pain in his eyes and teeth. He initially lost 60 pounds as the detention center only provided him with one meal a day until authorities allowed family and friends to send him money to purchase more food. At first, Cow didn't have a Bible in prison. 
So he devoted himself to prayer. Every day he'd pray for more than 100 people. The Chinese government, and he'd pray for a different country. What a heart. He's in jail. He's praying for the Chinese government, 100 people. Oh yeah, and could you send missionaries to other countries? He scoured, get this, the books in the prison library for Bible verses. Finding many in books as varied as Uncle Tom's Cabin. There is a prison in China that has Uncle Tom's Cabin (laughs) in the library. He find Bible verses and he pull it out. To Nietzsche's writing. You know, Nietzsche, God is dead. So he's collecting Bible verses from any book so that he can meditate on them. By March 2018, Cao was able to obtain an English, so I guess it was right in the winter that he was arrested, and a Chinese Bible. And every day he'd read, meditate, pray, and write short poems. (laughs) Why not? He writes, every day, he said, I meet with the Lord. Every day, he said, I marvel at the greatness of God and feel his love All thanks to the Bible. I don't think we realize the power in our book. It takes a miracle to realize it. God said what's in there. And if he says, let there be light, there's light. And that, those are his words. Overall, our Bible reading, Romans 12 Two, Christian. Let it rule our brains. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The powerful words of God who created all things are powerful enough to transform this puny brain. And through that, transform my life and my thinking. So in this strange world, I can discern the will of God and so can you. You have access to it. You are the agent of power. Nothing has to be done to you. You can open it. And If this Chinese guy in a prison with hemorrhoids can find the Bible in Harriet Beecher Stowe novels, for goodness sake, you can find it right here. We must be a people who doesn't just go to church and be excited about our church. We must be a people who know his word. That's self-feeding. That isn't a sermon on a Sunday. That's self-feeding. You gotta do it yourself. And you gotta believe what it says. And you know what happens if you believe what he says and you know his word? Remember Jesus said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. You want victory in your life? You gotta know his word. You gotta know his word. I'm very excited for everyone who's joined in to read the scripture. I'm very excited for everyone who's coming to walk through the Old Testament to get to know the scripture better. 
Nothing can make me happier as your pastor. Nothing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.